Below the Mason Dixon, man, we do it from the dirt. Bring the glory from the mud, find the joy in the hurt. When you work with red clay, you add the passion and the blood. And the sweat and the tears, that compassion and the love. What you get is a stage filled with voices from the south. What you get is a page filled with stories from the south. What you get from the pen is reverie out the mouth. Bottle thump and some stump, what our history really about. For the ground is what we till in darker nights, the brighter days. Being here, still here, and more good work is on the way. The south got something to say. Real. Hey y'all, welcome back to Red Clay Plays Podcast, a podcast that champions Southern Black playwrights and the worlds they create with their words. I am Monet Noel Marshall, and I am your host. This week, we have an interview with playwright Brittany S. Harris. Now, in our last episode, we heard the fantastic performance of her play, How to Tie a Tie. You can pause this and go back and listen, or you can check out this interview, and then with all this context, you can go back and hear her play. Either way, but there will be some spoilers, so... I mean, it's up to you. It's your world. But I want to share with you a little bit about Britney, because Britney is dope, and the conversation is so good. So, here you go. Let me tell you about Britney. Brittany S. Harris is an assistant professor of theater in the Department of Communication and Theater Arts at Old Dominion University. She holds a Master of Fine Arts in Acting from the University of Georgia. Brittany's research efforts are supported and documented by the practices of PAR, Performance as Research. Her areas of expertise are in race and performance, theater for social change, and performative community-engaged programming. Throughout the southeast regions of Virginia, North Carolina, D.C., and Georgia, Brittany has created several community engagement-based projects and conducted workshops on solo performance development and devised theater at several national interdisciplinary conferences, including the first annual Richmond Fringe Festival, 2020 Mid-America Theater Conference, Black Theater Network Annual Conference, and 2019 Gender, Bodies, and Technology Conference, Technologics, Power, and Resistance. Most recently, her short play, The Amazing Jason, was an official selection for the Fade to Black Theater Festival in Houston, Texas, and she is workshopping and touring her two solo performance projects, The Intersection, The Sandra Bland Project, and Being B.A.D. Each project explores the adverse effects of violence in social media on the personal psyche and how narrative-based storytelling is used as a vessel for social resilience and redemption. Yeah, uh-huh. But let's jump right into that conversation, because it's good. I'll see you on the other side. Hey, Brittany. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's so good. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. I'm so grateful to talk to you and just excited. I'm already excited. <laughs> How are you feeling today? I'm feeling excellent. I mean, you know, I know there's a lot going on right now, but there is something about being in this present moment. Um, I, I know people talk about um, things needing to go forward and what's coming next, but sometimes we just need to just be in the moment and that's called Kairos or Kairos, living in that mm. moment. And so sometimes I, I try to not go too far in the, in the future or go too far back to think about stuff and just exist presently. And so right now I'm feeling excellent to even have this moment with you. So, yeah, that's beautiful. That's, you know, I think a lot about like meditation or like presencing. And I think about the ways that like 
my grandmothers did it, even if they wouldn't have called it that. Right. Like when they were in their kitchen, they're like, I'm cooking, leave me alone. And yeah. like, that was just their time to be quiet and be and be with their thoughts. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like those practices are, are baked in mm-hmm. to us, you know? Yeah, that is an excellent way to say it. Because, you know, I don't think they would use the word, maybe I'm meditating. They would not say right, No, but I'm resting my eyes, baby. I'm resting my eyes, right? I'm not asleep, I'm resting my eyes, you know, and, and being still. Sometimes it is about the stillness and, and, and seeing where you fit in all of that sometimes. Um, and so this is an excellent time, I think, to be an artist. I know I feel like some of our livelihoods have really been affected by everything with the, the COVID and stuff like that. But there's also this time for us to really build our work, you know, build yeah. um, the foundation for newer work and stuff like that. So stillness is, is, has been a reward during this, I must say. Yeah, I love that, building our work. What have you found in your work in the stillness? And also, like, what have you found just, like, as a black woman living in the South. Yeah. Um, you know, I will say I found that there are more narratives than what is placed out there for us to see on mainstream. Right. And mm-hmm. that we're, you know, we're talking about today with how to tie a tie where this came in at, because there was just a, a very intricate narrative that I was trying to tell or trying to find really just keep it real. I was trying to find this narrative somewhere and I couldn't find it. So I wrote it. <laughs> some kind of way about it right but I will say you know um I can find myself being in spaces and time that I feel um closed in um or like this whole regulation like you know staying in we have all these different measures that we have to to like stay up on and I realized I was quarantining my creativity at the Mm. same time as my body was being quarantined and that's just not healthy. <laughs> I, I found myself stifling my creativity because I, I couldn't get the stimuli or stimulus that I needed from being outside or being in nature or talking to people. But then I realized I had narratives really living in me. And that uh, extends beyond just this COVID-19 point. But when I develop my plays, my one-woman shows, this is kind of um, a call and response to either headlines I've seen, narratives I've, I've heard, people I know, things I wonder, questions I have. And so yeah. being a, a Black woman and being a playwright in the South, I have a lot of questions that usually... It's like, well, girl, does, what does the Bible say? I mean, I hate to say it like that, but that's usually what it is. Or what do what did grandma say that was? Or what did you hear? But more so, what do I think? And what do I want to know? And expanding that and allowing my mind to um, create pieces that leave us answering questions and still asking them. And so I found myself being so inquisitive and still being inquisitive. Um, and while I'm a true woman of faith, um, I do believe that Faith does open up for us to have questions and have that beautiful free will to ask those questions. Oh, that's so beautiful, Brittany. That's so beautiful. It reminds me of the Zora Neale Hurston quote that there are years that ask questions and years that answer. Um, I Ooh. think that 2020 is a year that did both of those things. <laughs> so I'm really curious around what questions you're asking yourself right now and that, and what questions are you exploring in your work? Yeah. Yeah. I will say that um, my work lately, the questions have been about lifting limitations, but also what can be created in limitation. There's something Mm. beautiful about the intimacy of limits. And that is where the questions are still forming. Um, 
my work has taken um, a, a more internal feel to it. A lot of the pieces are exploring people, not necessarily lost in their minds, but in their minds. And what does that look like to answer? And people say, you're talking to people with voices in your head, not necessarily voices, but they're conversations. And so that mm-hmm. limitation and, the, and the limitations that come from that has been so intimate in my creativity. And I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to manifest afterwards. I love that like phrase, the intimacy of limits. Like I'm going to be meditating on that today because yeah. so that just rings so true to me. I tell people all the time that I feel like creatives are best when they are create, when they know the box or they know the, the scope, they know the, the room that they are playing in so that they can play all the angles in that room and in that space, which is why I think that Black people and then specifically Southern Black people are so well positioned to create beautiful, meaningful work because we are existing under so many limits, you know, and um, black women, black queer women, black trans women, like we are existing under so many limits. Like the world is trying to paint us so small that all we have is that space and we're going to freak it, (laughs) you know, like we just going to make it rock. Um, And I think I think your work really speaks to that. Um, And I feel you really pushing against those limits in your work. Um, And I think I'd really love to talk about limits and how you see yourself pushing in your work in general, and then specifically in how to tie a tie. Yeah, um, and thank you for that. Just kind of rounding that all together um, because I believe all the pieces that I write are meant to be conversational. They are not meant for just pure entertainment. That's the takeaway. That's great. Um, But I always say that it's not for um, educational purposes, but it's for enlightening purposes. Like this work is supposed to enlighten and make you question and have a dialogue. And if it's not an external dialogue with somebody, it's an internal dialogue with yourself. So, um, my work always pushes boundaries in the sense of um, not necessarily, you know, making people uncomfortable, but work can, the good work can cause people to be uncomfortable, but it is about pushing against something that has been almost systemically put into us that we didn't know was being shown to us or said to us, what we see, what we hear from the conversations and all of that. So that extended into making How to Tie a Tie um, because it was, like I said, a kind of a call response. I was working on a piece in grad school. I wrote it during uh, my last year of grad school. I went to the University of Georgia. Go dogs. And and, um, we were working on this piece um, called I Always Knew. And it was this idea of people who, um, we were working with this um, university based out of Brazil and we were, you know, in UGA and this these conversations that kind of juxtaposed each other about uh, queerness and race and, and identity and things about people saying, man, I, I always knew that about you. I always knew you had that. I mean, you know what I mean? And so this idea of that you already know everything you need to know about yourself and just the limits you place on yourself starts to make you feel like you don't, blah. Mm, Anyway, mm -hmm. I wanted to explore um, a piece that not necessarily highlighted um, the queer narrative, but this idea of the queer limitation placed in the Black society and the conversations around it. I wanted to build a piece that necessarily just talked about 
what people talk about behind closed doors truthfully and not in a callous way, but in a true, when I'm talking about that Christian love kind of way, how do we approach something that according to the word is abomination, right? But love is love is in the Bible that, you know, love represents a multitude of sins. And I wrote this in the play that love is not a sin though. Who you love Mm -hmm. is not a sin. And what does that dialogue mean? And using the word to propel that dialogue. So that's pushing that limit of saying, I'm not necessarily questioning this, but questioning how we receive that. Because sometimes this is about, you said, the lens, this, this perception that we place on ourselves how do we expand that? How do we question it? Just because that's the glasses you told me to wear doesn't mean that's the lens I have to look through. And mm. I give um, the audience, uh, an actor, whoever, to explore this with this piece. And that's why I wrote it. Um, when I tell you I wrote this, when I'm, I'm not playing, I wrote this at three in the morning. Talk about something being compelled in your spirit. <laughs> to write girl it was called a transmission i could not i could not rest uh we were hearing all these beautiful narratives we had this um this um grant to be able to interview uh people from the lgbtqia uh community of um athens georgia as well as at the university um in brazil and we were taking these narratives and kind of doing like a docudrama taking their words and then extending it into a monologue or a dialogue or a scene and i realized that a lot of our volunteer participants were not black a lot of them not just mm-hmm. the, the area we were in but more so i think there's a fear there's a, 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 their own apprehensions uh, about talking and sharing. And, and, and so I, I found myself, and I don't necessarily identify as queer, as more so I identify as really an ally in this idea of we are people. And I, I felt like there was narratives that were not heard, that were not seen. And so I had this internal dialogue with myself, real, real talk. And I, I started wondering these questions and having these and wanting some answers. And so I just started off with simply asking, what don't I know and what do I feel? And then from there, mm-hmm. I started answering that question. And I realized I had two sides and that's what the play per- represents, the two-person show. And one is this very liberal um, view on, you know, I've learned to accept people, not just based off, you know, limitations of race and skin color, whatever. And then you have one that's very conservative. And I was very specific in keeping it interracial. I was very specific in, in using um, the dialogue between these two um these two histories uh, to inform and to teach one another, because it wasn't about you're wrong and you're right. It was more about how do we come to a place that we both know that we love our child. So where's the bridge? And I wanted to mm-hmm. make a piece about that. I know that was a little long, long-winded, I'm sorry, but that's a little the journey of how I created this piece um, because I did in the end have two, um, really two views in my mind, how I grew up versus the questions I had. And I wanted to create a play that talked about those two views. And, but in the end, I still love people. I still mm-hmm. love, I love this person. That's what matters regardless of how they identify as this or that, we want to love them for what they identify as. But that's not all that they are. They are a being. They're human. They're them. And I wanted to have a piece that just looked at the the beauty of just loving someone for just who they are, regardless of whatever society roles or rules or whatever is out there. Mm. That's beautiful, Brittany. Thank you so much for sharing like your inner journey to get to this play. Um, I think that 
your wrestling and your honesty in that wrestling really comes through in these characters. And I think the dialogue that comes out between them, there's a lot of that that listeners will will identify with because they're conversations that we hear or we've heard or maybe we've even said whether we're on one side or the other, you know, and mm-hmm. life is just such a journey. Um, I know that for me, you know, I'm 31 years old and definitely raised to have like with some homophobic beliefs that are grounded in church and society. And so then for me, like not only getting over homophobia, but like, had to get, having to get over homophobia so I could love myself and love my queer self, right? And knowing that there are parts of that where I was saying and doing things that would have been harmful to present day me, right? So I think it's just really important to do that wrestling. And I appreciate the ways that you did it with so much love. Like there, because the the couple is like, because the two characters are married, they love each other. Mm-hmm. So they're not having conversations from like across the the aisle, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. they have a deep love and care for each other. And I think that's really important for us to model how to have these conversations in love. And I also think it's important that their child is not present for the conversation yeah. in the play. <laughs> Because that's not the work of queer folks. Like it's it's the work of allies to like do that work. And I I also really appreciated that that it wasn't like um, the queer person having to go through the trauma of like hearing these like harmful things from their dad. Absolutely. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I um I'm I'm very glad that um you know when I when I wrote the piece it's it's crazy um. The, so the the version that you have, I've literally, I've only done two drafts. I, it came straight from the heart. And I remember I had one person do a look over. And then I remember one person said, flesh out the father a little bit. We have to understand where his roots come in at. And it was very important mm-hmm. because with the father in the in the piece, you know, um, one of my favorite parts is when <laughs> he goes, you know, you got us in this church. You know, my father's a pastor and the wife goes, the pastor that's officiating the wedding. He's growing. He's he's evolving. Why can't you? And it's it's that. It's that right there being so stuck in one way, but can't even realize that the people before you and the people after you are evolving. You know, and I needed that there. I needed that complexity, you know, that whole, you know, validating one another, but really hearing each other out, you know, um, that moment. And one thing that I will say that, I'm very, very pleased with this play is that it doesn't give a cookie cutter ending. Ending mm-hmm. is not like, okay, now I'm going to identify. It's him. No, it's like, I'm going to work on it. I'm not a switch, but I'm going to try. And that's sometimes I think even as an ally, and I'm, 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 I'm not speaking on your behalf, but as a queer person, I, I hope that when someone says they want to try and you see them trying, don't just say it, do it. Um, it, it matters, you know, and I really wanted that piece uh, to end on a, on a note of, you know, I don't fully understand, but what I do understand is I love my child, that I do right. love the person they're marrying. I love my father. I love my wife. I do support marriage, you know. Um, I do support love finding each other, no matter what society may say. You know, I was very, very specific to not ignore the race between them. Um, and it was this I- idea of, yes, in places of the South, people think is an abomination 
for people of interracial couples to be married together. They still do to this day. Mm-hmm. So that could not have been ignored in the play, but she had to bring that up as there are people who judged us. And what did you say to that? You know what I mean? So what, what makes this so different, you know? Um, and, and then on, on top of that, um, I did want to really highlight the true fear because it wasn't, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead, but this is the the big takeaway for me when I was processing it, because this is the thing that my family always brought up is what happens if somebody sees you, you know? Mm. And the thing is, it wasn't in the end about the father not really approving. It was, a, it was about the image. It's about what people will see. This idea that there are radical groups out here. What's going to happen when the wrong person or if the wrong person sees this? And I'm understanding, but what happened if they're not? And that mm. I wanted to highlight, that's being a parent. You will wonder about your child, even if they were in a heteronormative relationship, you would still worry, especially because they're a black female, black male, come on now, that's deeper than just this. But now this adds even more. And I wanted to show that. I wanted to say, here's, here's the pinnacle. I'm afraid, I fear. It's the fear mm. that's driving this. It's fear. And that's why people judge people because it's fear because they don't understand Monet. That's what it is. And I at least wanted to give a piece that shows that even though you don't understand something, you can still support it. You can still be there. Um, so yeah, I know. Again, I went a little long. But- <laughs> You don't have to apologize at all. Like, this is time for you to share the story. And I think one of the things I love about that is the way that you wrote this piece. I also think it really shows your trust and belief in Southern audiences, Southern Black audiences specifically, because I mean, that's, but I, I think there are so many folks that don't trust us. Yeah. I don't think that we are growing and shifting almost they, like almost like queerness is still a new thing or right. that immigrants are still a new thing or trans folks are still a new thing and it's like actually no like it, i really feel like the media wants to put all these things on just like poor southerners um and it's just not so it's just not so like i grew up in new york and i'm like there's racism in new york i promise you know and I think it's just really important for us to have performances where we trust Southern audiences to go there with us, to step into the shoes of these characters, to see themselves, to ask themselves questions, to, to be whole and to be human. And to, you know, like, I think, I think that's really important. So I think I'm curious about your thoughts around Southern, like black Southern audiences and, what you would like to see more of as a member of our like collective witness? Yeah. You know, um, I will say, so I'm glad that I'm still in Virginia and I never really truly left the South. I went further South when I went to grad school. So just imagine, you know, Virginia is a pretty much of a melting pot. You know, we have the military here, you know, they don't really claim us to be the South anyway. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, <laughs> but the further I went and when I lived in Georgia, it became very clear that I am still uh, looked at before you even get to know me. Like you are, you have a perception of me before I even open my mouth, let alone that I'm a a woman that, um, and I, and I've transitioned naturally. Um, I remember 
going into grad school, girl, I know offense people who get perms, but I was a, a girl that would creamy crack. I slicked that stuff down, you know, it was a certain look. And I remember uh, discovering my roots and that has a, has a double meaning to it. Not only just discovering my roots as a, as a woman and as a black woman, but discovering my hair, discovering me. It was a very different intimacy. And I think that's what I want to see from Southern audiences, more Southern audiences. I want us to see the intimacy in ourselves and yeah. look a mirror and look at ourselves a little bit more. We we like to look at ourselves and, and round it off as, oh, we're just from the South. But more so, you're a person that puts on these views from where you grew up from. But there's an intimacy. There's this idea that you do have questions inside of you. You have questions that you ponder. So let's explore that. And I think what we need are more platforms like this that we can explore the narrative and allow people to create newer work to do that. Um, I think, you know, you know, I, I love how when you're question, like, what are your, some of your shout outs to some of your like favorite Southern playwrights? And like, I, I have a, I have a couple that come to my mind. I mean, I, I think, I think actually, I think Anna DeVere is from Maryland, but we'll call that the South right now. But I love Anna DeVere <laughs> um, because I, I love how she, I love her complex narratives with solo work. I really do. I love her focus on using one body to embody multiple. I think that's remarkable. And I love Katori Hall that she's from Memphis or uh, Tennessee, I believe. Um, I love her, her work as well. And it's this idea of they're placing out their narratives um, or perspectives that can help shift things, that can help show a complexity. Because I, I do believe that it's very easy to say, oh, they're going to struggle. They don't grow up with money. They're going to grow up on a plantation. There's all these other narratives, which is fine. We, need <laughs> but we also need narratives that just place us in a living room, a domestic piece that gets in our house when we sit down and we're eating and we're talking or in a hotel space, or when you're interviewing on people on the street or whatever, we, we need to be able to be intimate in a way that um, can be transparent. And I would love to see more transparency, that things are shifting and we need to adjust accordingly. I would love to see more narratives that are a lot more intimate, even if that means shows with smaller cast, that's fine. Mm. You know, I love the big cast. I love a musical. I love this or that, but I do love the complexities of um, like the mountaintop, you know, with Katori Hall, two, two person show, well done, complex narratives. We get perspectives that we hadn't seen. We know what's going to happen. We know the ending of this piece. I'm not going to spoil it just in case our readers don't know, our listeners rather don't know. <laughs> um, but I, I will say that I love that we took a familiar story and added some some depth to it. And that's what I want. Intimacy and depth. Mm-hmm. And so many thoughts. You're, <laughs> you speaking about intimacy reminds me of a book called The Sovereignty of Quiet by mm. Kevin Quashi. Mm. And um, I'm working through it. So for folks who have read it, please <laughs> don't be mad if I'm not like adequately talking about the, the thesis of the book. But just this idea that blackness has been positioned to be so presentational mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. everything about us is like that every time we're on the street we're like fighting racism we're doing something we're present we're like you know everything is like outside of us but mm-hmm. what about the like the quiet the interiority of blackness and that's what that like piece around intimacy makes me think about just like i want to see work where like 
little black girls get to be quiet. Yeah. And we get to just watch them think and be and sit. Right. And like have a thought. You know, I yeah. I want to I want us to not always have to be raging. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I I I want to see the quiet, tender, inside, quirky what we do when no one's watching yeah. part of blackness too. Right. Um and it's interesting. I, I was doing a play and I got a note back um, from someone, this white man, and he was just like, there were parts of the show where I was bored. And I was just like, oh, that's so fascinating. Because I think what's actually happening is like, we're just not used to black quiet. They're not. Black quiet makes us really uncomfortable, actually. It does. It, it, it is it's something about... Um watching us be still i actually read mm-hmm. an article uh, i think today the phrase today is that you know black women cannot be are not allowed to be introverted mm-hmm. we're, we're not you know it's 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 like oh it's a quiet storm like why is it a storm maybe i'm just no i could oh, just be quiet i'm just being quiet and observing and existing you know um and I, I think that um, I love that you hit on this presentational versus representational, right? Like this idea of we have to present blackness all the time. We have to present being this the whole time. But in true reality, if I were to represent myself, I am extremely quirky. Um, you know, I am I'm someone that, you know, I, and, and I think we feel comfortable. So we're able to be expressive now. But truth be told, when I am in my creative mode, I am quiet. I'm quiet. I'm trying to figure out where this narrative is going to go. I'm trying to figure out how to give respect to whatever narrative I'm saying or what I need to focus on or whatnot. And I, I think that that would be a, a beautiful wave of intimacy pieces that will come out. And we should call it that intimacy pieces of the of the pandemic or whatever, because that's that's mm-hmm. what the work is calling for. I um I lead a workshop. Um, I'm actually presenting um uh, soon called Flying Solo, and it's your personal narrative and solo exploration. And how do you use what you know to create narratives that only you can tell? Mm-hmm. One of my exercises is complete stillness for two minutes. That sounds like, oh, two minutes, but there's something about- It's a long time to be quiet, for real. mind for two minutes to exist. It is, and and that's the, like, when I do my workshop feedback, I said, I really like the two minutes of stillness because it allowed them to formulate, it allowed them to come to a a grounding, back to that place of roots for whoever that is. Um, But that intimacy is is needed now. Um, I think everything- Mm -hmm been very presentational we have everything hashtags and news feeds and twitter and, and instagram and tiktok no offense because i use all of them but it's also overwhelming as hell yeah and, and what happened to just sitting to yourself a little bit like for real rest in your ass yes rest and back to that well i I want to know, Brittany, like what, what other work are you dreaming on? Like what type of work are you creating? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, whew. so like I said, I, I do like a call and response type of work, a activist theater, if you will, this idea of how can we use theater as a part of civil dialogue? So my pieces are really meant to be seen and then talked. Like it's not meant for you to say, ooh, that was great theater and walk away. No, that is not what this is. Um, but um, 
Um, currently, like I said, I have a piece called Being Bad, B-A-D, and it's this exploration of um, redemption of self and what does it look like to see redemption. We talk about our narratives of redemption, but this piece is about really physically watching someone embody building themselves up from the ground. Um, and so the piece um, is in response to, unfortunately, back in 2017, the um, the shooting of um, San Bernardino teacher, um, preschool teacher, uh, Karen Smith. She was um, shot by her estranged husband in her classroom. He not only shot her, but several of the students and then shot himself. Um, I was compelled by this narrative because um, there were numerous reports of her, them, her reporting him saying, yeah, he, uh, um, restraining order stuff like that but in the community what was seen was that he was a faithful guy very respectful guy but what's happening behind closed doors and you know what happens in private stays in private something that we're kind of told in the south like a like look that's what you learn right and so i wanted to um breathe life into that quiet narrative of of an introverted woman who was finally getting the strength to exist in her own mess and voice and so while the piece isn't truly um embodying Karen is embodying this idea of what society puts as what's a good wife, what's a good woman, what are the rules of the house and all that. And how do we break that? And the whole show is around a veil, this unveiling and the veil and, and the piece becomes the apron that she wears when she becomes a wife. It's the apron that she gets married. Um, you know, her, her wedding veil is the veil that shields her shoulders when she's younger. And it's the veil that she finally lets go of and she lets mm. linger. And as she takes over to have true acceptance and redemption of herself, she realizes that she doesn't need to have that veil over her eyes anymore. And so I want more pieces that lift the veil off of what a Black woman should look like and be. And I'm especially a, 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 a African-American woman. What is this view of what it means to be an African-American woman and and politics and professionalism and in a household you know where did these rules come from that you know i had to be um quiet and slow to speak and all that stuff like what what are all these come from you have to act a certain way be a certain way maintain the peace where do all these um these these pressures unfortunately i'm gonna use that word come from and i want to unveil that and know that we can be raging but we can also be quiet that we can be expressive and we can also be reserved. That it isn't just one mold that black women fit into. Let's unveil that, let's break that down and let's show it all. So that's what I'm dreaming, more pieces that, you know, hopefully expands beyond solo pieces and I get to deal with um, more narratives, uh, but really giving the stage to complex black woman narratives. Yes, 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 and more. Yes, I want that. I want to see that. I want to be the audience for that. I would love for you to watch it. <laughs> I want it. I want that. Uh, so, um, Brittany, what advice would you give to Southern Black playwrights? Mm-hmm. Um, don't be afraid of your own transparency. Um, don't be afraid of what you're going to find in yourself. And, and the reason mm-hmm. I, I say that is because um, 
even in writing this piece, I was afraid of how it would be perceived um, because of it being in the South and me also being a Christian and me being Black and all those things were going through my mind about what are they going to think about you? And then it gets to this point, I don't want to curse on your podcast, but I don't give a flying boop about what anybody <laughs> thinks. And that's what it came down to. I, I found that what makes me whole as a, as a woman is just me. It's this idea that I don't believe there's right or wrong in these kind of narratives. I believe there's wrong in other things. But when it comes down to love, when it comes down to what you're trying to figure out about yourself, how can it be wrong and you're trying to figure out yourself? Where's the wrong in yeah. that? You can realize yeah. that, you know what? I can see how systemically I could be homophobic about that. Or I have a thing about people with disability. Or I realize like, wow, as I grew up, and, and this is a conversation I even have with my girlfriends, how much is what we really know and how much is what was told to us? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The conversations you have when you sit down with your mom and your grandma and everybody and they start talking about, girl, don't let no man do this or don't let nobody do that. You know, all these things. I'm like, But do I really mind that? Is that really? Mm -hmm. So there's a transparency that you have to trust within yourself that's going to come up and be evolved out the work. And that's why... We need forums to process too, because it can't just be putting it all on paper. You got to have a, you have to be able to process the work. So have the transparency. And another piece of advice is process the work, get it in front of people, get in front of people that don't know you, get in front of people that do know you, getting into, getting in front of an audience that will be able to give you valuable feedback back. And even if that feedback is, I don't understand dot, 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 that means maybe there's a place of clarification, or maybe you're hitting on something that they never explored before. You know what I mean? So just this idea of being open to the process. Um, I always tell this to my students, focus on the process and not the product and love your transparency and whatever comes out. That is my advice. Absolutely. That's beautiful advice. Uh, yes. And I'm excited about all the worlds that will come out from folks just writing from themselves mm. like cracking open themselves like i am so excited about all the worlds that we will be invited into um from that place so here's to that here's to that here's to that. all those yeah here's to all that southern black theater all the southern black playwrights who are just cracking themselves open um and sharing with us ah Brittany, this has been such a joy to talk to you um i hope we get to do it again yeah. and where can folks find out about your work and where can, where would you like to be found on the internet? Absolutely. Yeah. All of my work and my updates are on my website and that is Brittany. I mean, it's www.brittanysharris.com. So it's pretty simple. Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-N-E-Y, S as in Sam, Harris.com. And I keep all of my uh, recent performances, all of the news that's happening, um, all up there. And I'm very grateful for you for this interview, Monet, and the audience that's here. You have a beautiful spirit. I feel like I'm right in front of you. So thank you so much for inviting me in. Of course. Thank you so much. And y'all, please check us in. Check back with us next week. Uh, we'll have another play. And until then, love y'all. Britney students are so lucky, aren't they? Uh, 
I learned so much in that conversation, and I hope you did too. Let us know what you thought on Facebook or on Instagram, and you can find all our handles in the description, as well as all the information to learn more about Brittany and her work. Again, we want to say thank you so much for Brittany S. Harris for her time and her brilliant work. We want to thank our sound engineer, Only Us Media. We want to thank Desana Hanu for penning and performing our intro with production by Scott Warren. And we want to thank our funders, Man Bites Dog Theater, Cypress Fund, Triangle Community Foundation, United Arts Council, the Black Seed Grants, and folks like you. Y'all, we are just beginning. We have so much more that we are up to that we're doing, so many ways that we are investing in Southern Black playwrights, and we hope that you will come along for the ride with us. You can do so at www.mojoaa.org. And until next time, stay sweet. Below the Mason Dixon, man, we do it from the dirt. Uh-huh. Bring the glory from the mud, find the joy in the hurt. Yep. When you work with red clay, you add the passion and the blood right. and the sweat and the tears, that compassion and the love. Uh-huh. What you get is a stage filled with voices from the south. Uh-huh. What you get is a page filled with stories from the south. Sure. What you get from the pen is reverie out the mouth, That's bottle right. thump and some stump. What our history really about. For the ground is what we till in darker nights, the brighter days. Been here, still here, and more good work is on the way. Yeah. The south got something to say. Real.